Welcome to our podcast series on security transformation in government, underwritten by Fortinet. I'm your host, Billy Mitchell, and in this week's episode, we're talking about how federal and state agencies can better secure their remote workforce. Our guest today is Jim Richberg, field CISO at Fortinet. Jim brings a unique perspective to today's discussion as the former National Intelligence Manager for Cyber in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, where he set national cyber intelligence priorities. Before that, he monitored and coordinated implementation of the whole-of-government comprehensive national cybersecurity initiative for Presidents Bush and Obama, and spent nearly two decades at the CIA in a variety of analytic, operational, and technical roles. Jim, welcome to the program. Thanks, Billy. It's great to be with you. Absolutely. So, Jim, let's get right into it. We have a lot to talk about today. Federal and state governments are dealing with a lot, some extraordinary circumstances right now, particularly uh, with the the spread of coronavirus and trying to support their workforce through telework, um, especially those who work remotely. Uh, What is different now and what's changing with respect to remote or telework by government employees? Let me first address this from the government employer's perspective. Pre-9-11, continuity of operations or continuity of government, coup cog, to use the common federal terms, used to mean deciding who had to trek into the office in the case of a snow day versus take unscheduled leave. It became more urgent post-9-11, but was still focused on identifying that subset of the workforce deemed essential or mission critical and telling them to come in at their customary location. Now governments are looking at how to have reasonably full utilization of the workforce for an extended period of time with most employees based outside of the office. From an IT perspective, I think it helps to break the problem into components. First is the endpoint security of the remote workers' IT environment, which can be a home network with vulnerable IoT devices such as baby cams and doorbells, and family members using applications and platforms such as social media and gaming consoles that potentially introduce threats into the network. This operating environment is outside of the organization's control and brings a new meaning to the term insider risk. The key question is, how do you isolate the device or at least ensure the integrity of the government data and operations on the teleworker's device? And whose computing device is it? In many cases, it may be a federally issued device, but especially for non-federal workers, it may be an employee-owned device, BYOD. A second element to consider is transmission security. We would typically look to ensure that government data is encrypted when it moves across the internet. A third element is the headquarters or parent office. Does it have the ability to absorb the number of connections expected from its workforce? Can it handle them with acceptable latency so that users don't become frustrated by slow network performance? Can it ensure that these connections are secure and available only to authorized users? Bandwidth is an important consideration in any IT solution. How efficient can your solution be? Because not all teleworkers will have broadband access, and even if they do, broadband speeds vary dramatically. 
cloud computing becomes an especially attractive option under these circumstances. And for federal users, TIC 3.0 permits direct connection rather than having to route traffic back through the home agency, and it encompasses use of software as a service platforms. I would note that there are mature commercial solutions that address all of these factors. Organizations grappling with the need to move rapidly to support remote and mobile worker populations don't have to, and frankly, shouldn't reinvent the wheel, either in terms of technology or best practices. And speaking of best practices, what are some considerations and criteria for individuals who are working remotely? We've already touched on some of them because they're shared with the employer. Most people are not IT experts, and the unfortunate reality is that many home networks are running unpatched hardware and software and default passwords. This transition to telework is actually an opportunity for individuals to focus on cybersecurity fundamentals that can not only secure their remote work site, but that can also help safeguard employees and their families against malicious cyber activities ranging from identity theft to ransomware. User-friendly resources on cyber hygiene and best practices for enhancing home network security are now widely available, and many companies are making some of their products and services available for free to help ensure secure and reliable computing from lockdown or stay-at-home conditions. Jim, what is it that worries you about the current focus and rush to implement remote and telework capabilities? Billy, one of my big concerns about remote telework is that it pits security against performance in a rematch of the classic security versus convenience dilemma that security always seems to lose. In this case, because of the way we've had to implement the mass migration into telework in an ad hoc fashion and under time pressure, it's been challenging to get connectivity established and workers productive. And once you're finally up and running, who wants to step back and ensure that the connection and operations are secure, especially when individuals and organizations are facing stress from all directions? So unfortunately, inertia takes over, and it's too easy to forget to go back and take a look at security once the new operating rhythm is established. It's also important to remember that this is not a one-size-fits-all problem and solution. There are multiple types of remote users who have to be supported. There are standard users who need access to the typical hardware and software uh, software of their work environment. There are power users, such as system administrators and programmers, who need privileged access to especially sensitive data, such as source code or security logs, and who may need more bandwidth and the ability to connect multiple devices simultaneously. And there are super users, such as executives who may be dealing with sensitive or proprietary data and who may need real-time secure voice communications. Each type of user has differing needs in terms of connectivity and solutions. There are also multiple use cases or scenarios, including, of course, remote use from a static and fixed location, which is what most organizations are trying to implement now. But there's also a need to support government and medical professionals who may be mobile or working from temporary locations such as field testing centers. And while it's less of a concern right now with much of the country in lockdown, any remote capability organizations implement should ideally be able to support post-COVID needs, such as the secure and reliable computing for the classic road warrior traveling employee. 
organizations shouldn't end up throwing away their current remote technology and investment in lessons learned. What advice do you have for any government decision makers who may be listening to this podcast today? Government has a set of levers to drive change, particularly in terms of changing regulations, policies, and setting acceptable norms of behavior. For example, changes in the interpretation of patient-private policies made as COVID-19 began affecting states have enabled remote mental health counseling, which used to be impermissible due to HIPAA concerns. Similarly, changes to the interpretation of student privacy requirements are facilitating remote schooling. This is helpful because at the end of the day, security is usually about risk management rather than absolutes. Since we have a strong regime of policies and controls focused on ensuring privacy, organizations have realized that the risk of no schooling or no medical counseling needs to be balanced against the risk from relaxing, not discarding, existing measures put in place to safeguard privacy. There's still work to be done on the regulatory front, though. For instance, although many organizations broadened their interpretation of HIPAA and privacy to allow patients to avoid coming into a medical facility, other parts of the medical field, such as government insurance providers, haven't moved as rapidly and, at least as of the time we're recording this podcast, still insist that the clinicians come into the facility to host the remote session, even if they have better connectivity and hardware in their home office. There are some broader policy and legal issues associated with remote telework that will warrant government addressing as well. What does due diligence in terms of cybersecurity even look like in a home-based work IT environment that includes non-employee users, such as family members? Who's liable for the consequences of cyber threats to the organization and its data that may come in through the home network? Conversely, What happens if remote telework adversely affects some activity on the employee's home network? And in the case of an employee-owned device, what are the rights of the organization to monitor it and its computing environment? Great, Jim. And we have time for one last question. What do you believe the longer-term implications will be on the future of telework in government? I hear a lot of talk about the current pandemic as a game changer and that the new normal won't look like the old status quo. That may be the case for teleworking, which could be transformed into a mainstay working relationship in our economy. For many companies, and even more so for government, remote telework has largely been a niche program or an accommodation for certain classes of employee. Driving such a transformation will require a change in culture and mindset within organizations and their management, but demonstrating that employees can remain productive even under this current worst-case scenario of abrupt implementation with lots of complicating factors could go a long way to fuel that cultural shift. And think about it. Broader adoption of remote telework would have major societal and economic implications, ranging from broadening the talent pool for specific jobs to increasing flexibility in terms of where workers opt to live and reducing pollution and traffic due to fewer daily commuters. Key to such permanence will be demonstrating that remote teleworking is a viable long-term solution. But again, I think if we can succeed in implementing remote teleworking under these exigent circumstances, when employees and organizations have largely had to wing it on implementation and to do so while working under lockdown conditions with family members and significant external stress factors present, 
I frankly don't see how remote teleworking does not become part of the new normal as a mainstream practice. Great points. That's all the time we have for today. Jim Richberg, thanks for joining us to talk about IT modernization and security. And thanks to Fortinet for underwriting today's episode. Look for more of our coverage of security transformation in government on fedscoop.com and statescoop.com or subscribe to our FedScoop and Statescoop radio channels on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Thanks again, Jim. This is Billy Mitchell, and thanks for tuning in.